This is Santia Deck, and you're listening to MTMV Sports. Keep it locked. Yo, what's good? It's your boy CJ King. Look, and I'm rocking with the homie Rick Sincere. I'm going to need y'all to keep it locked right here on MTMV Sports. Hey, I'm Andy. If you don't know me, it's probably because I'm not famous. But I did start a men's grooming company called Harry's. The idea for Harry's came out of a frustrating experience I had buying razor blades. Most brands were overpriced, overdesigned, and out of touch. At Harry's, our approach is simple. Here's our secret. We make sharp, durable blades and sell them at honest prices for as low as $2 each. We care about quality so much that we do some crazy things, like buy a world-class German blade factory. Obsessing over every detail means we're confident in offering a 100% quality guarantee. Millions of guys have already made the switch to Harry's, so thank you if you're one of them. And if you're not, we hope you give us a try with this special offer. Get a Harry starter set with a five-blade razor, weighted handle, shave gel, and a travel cover, all for just three bucks plus free shipping. Just go to harrys.com and enter 5000 at checkout. That's harrys.com, code 5000. Enjoy! Save on your faves at Big Lots. With everything you need to keep your home sparkling, Big Lots is the one-stop shop for all your household essentials. Shop now through July 17th and you'll get a $10 Big Lots gift card by mail when you spend $30 on your favorites like Tide, Gain, Dawn, and Febreze. This offer won't last long, so stop by Big Lots today. What's up, Dad? Uh, just setting up the smart TV. Just connect to Wi-Fi. You know we should secure our Wi-Fi, too, right? Huh? With Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi, securing your network is so simple, even Dad can do it. Learn how at cox.com slash panoramic Wi-Fi. Hello, everybody. I'm Ed Robinson, and welcome to another exciting edition of The Robinson Show. On the program, I have Dr. Chantel Trimatier. She was a former WNBA star, and she's doing big things in the community and also making some noise in the world of social media. We're going to talk to her about her career. This summer, a mountain becomes a water park. Bigger slides. Faster rides, taller waves, an adventure you'll never forget. Get ready to reach the peak of excitement in the Great Smoky Mountains. Soaky Mountain Water Park, conquer the mountain. Season passes available online. This summer, a mountain becomes a water park. Bigger slides. Faster rides, taller waves, an adventure you'll never forget. Get ready to reach the peak of excitement in the Great Smoky Mountains. Soaky Mountain Water Park, conquer the mountain. Season passes available online. Here And also some things that she's done outside of athletics and entrepreneurship, as well as furthering her education. That's all coming up after the break. Stay tuned. You're listening to The Robinson Show. People who are sick should stay home. 
You don't go to an emergency room. You don't go to a clinic. You get on the phone and you ask for advice and instructions from your physician. Then you use those instructions to determine what you're going to do. But the first reflex should not be, I feel sick, I'm going to go to an emergency room. I feel sick, I'm going to just go to a doctor's office. We need to physically separate. Ultimately, you may need, obviously, to see a physician or to go to a hospital. The first reflex should be to make a call to your physician. Wash your hands with soap and water before you eat, after using the toilet, after touching anything many other people touch, like a seat on a public bus. Scrub thoroughly for 20 seconds. If you cannot wash your hands, use a hand sanitizer. Taking these steps can prevent not only coronavirus, but also colds and flu and other viruses. For more information, visit the World Health Organization's website, www.who.int, or the Centers for Disease Control's website, www.cdc.gov. everybody welcome back to the program and the audio that you heard is that uh of the person that that's coming up on the show she is a former WNBA star that played for the Sacramento Monarchs the Utah Stars and the Indiana Fever she's done her thing in the world of athletics but also we're going to talk to her about her educational endeavors also entrepreneurship and some other things that she's done um pertaining to the music world and again also talk about her recent uh stardom in the world of social media we want to welcome to the program, Dr. Chantel Trimatier. Hello, Dr. Trimatier. How's everything? Good morning. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you for asking. How's everything on your end? It's good. It's good. Good. All all good here in Atlanta. All right. Solid. So um, let's jump right to it. Let's start off with your upbringing. Your upbringing was very unique in a lot of ways. You were um, you grew up in York, Pennsylvania, and you had an interesting uh, upbringing. You were um, adopted and you were reared in uh, th- amongst 13 uh, children from a you you were among 13 children from different ethnic backgrounds how how was that upbringing like uh growing up in York in that particular uh that unique family setting <clears throat> sure and and you know what actually sometimes i wish there were 13 but I, I, it was it was 15 of us um but but uh it was you know, it it, it was uh, what do you say? Educational. Um, you know, we learned a lot of things growing up. We learned to disregard color and and backgrounds. And my parents did an amazing job with with all of us. It's tough nowadays. I see parents struggling with two and three kids. And so, <clears throat> for them to have have done what they did with with all fifteen of us, and you know, all of us getting our degrees and and you know, no one was in jail or anything like that. Um, you know, I, I just give credit to them. Uh, 
you know, lost my mom in 2017. Uh, so it, it, the family dynamic has shifted a little bit, but, but it's been, it's been an amazing experience and I wouldn't change it for the world. Wow. That's awesome to hear. Interesting right there. Give my condolences to you with uh, the loss of your mother and, um, you know, I lost my I lost my father last year. You know, it's been tough. It's it's a it, it's a process. You know, and just you know, right. when I think about life, it, it 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 goes on, and you just have to keep on pushing. And um, absolutely. yeah, again, I'm, yeah, absolutely, you're right about that. And again, um, just looking at your background right here, so you grew up in, in a big family with with different mm-hmm. um ethnicities. Before we get into the athletic side of things, do you think with that upbringing that you had, do you think it was, um. Uh, a motivating force and not just dealing with people on, on a basketball standpoint, but just from a, a, a societal standpoint and later on furthering your education? Absolutely. That's a good question. You know, I think that, that <clears throat> growing up in my family helped me on the basketball court. And I always felt as though um, life imitated sport and, you know, as a point guard and, and, whether it's in high school or not so much high school, but college in the WNBA, you're always getting new teammates and, and uh, you don't control where they come from and their background or their races. And, and so I try to be the kind of player. Um, and I try to be the kind of person that can, can get along with anybody and can kind of adapt to my situation. Um, you know, it's still, it, it was still tough every now and then, especially in Alabama to hear the N word and, you know, that doesn't make it any easier. Um, you know, growing up in, in the family that I did. Uh, but, I, but I do think it helped, it helped me to, um, to adapt and, and to overcome and, and to better handle those kind of situations. All right, we're going to get to your uh, time at Auburn in, in just a minute, but I want to get back to um, your upbringing in York, Pennsylvania. So you grew up playing basketball with your siblings. Did you have any yeah. other – uh, did any of your siblings have an, an athletic background to prepare you for this, or was it just a simple uh, get in the backyard and we just learn how to play, or they'll take you to the park and we'll, we'll show you a few things? Right. You know what? It was actually my mom. Uh, she, You know, some of my brothers played basketball uh, or tried to play a little bit. They were athletic, played football and soccer, um, not really basketball. Uh, and my mom – uh, when we when I was 13 years old, you know, they brought the family together and said, look, you know, we'll either build a pool or a sport court in the backyard. And so I wasn't in the room when that happened, and they voted, and it was seven to seven. And so I came back in the room, and they told me, my mom told me that it was it was up to me. And obviously, with 14 brothers and sisters looking at me like, you better vote our way. And so... <clears throat> I just looked at my mom and I said, mom, I said, you know what, if you put a sport court back there, I promise you that you won't have to pay for me to go to college, that I'll get a scholarship. And so I voted for the sport court and and we got the sport court. And so it was just me going outside and and playing outside in the backyard and, you know, to the wee hours in the morning until she turned off the lights. And that's kind of how it happened. And invited friends over and played with them. And then it was going to the park and and playing with the guys. and, And I just kind of fell in love with it. Oh wow, that's a, a unique introduction, I guess, into uh, uh, the world of playing basketball, right there. Having your your siblings involved, and of course, a, a family vote was involved in that. So right. after your so after your high school career, you attended, sure. you chose to attend uh, Auburn University, where you received a full basketball scholarship. Did you receive any uh, other scholarship offers 
um, besides Auburn? I did. Um, I had about I had about twenty two offers, uh, but I, I only wanted to go to Temple. Um, and uh, you know, long story short, you know that the, the game that I thought I was gonna the next weekend I thought I was gonna go and on my recruiting visit they had it set up and the weekend before that was the the state uh, I mean the district semifinals and um, that morning my birth mother showed up out of nowhere. So it kind of shook me, and, and I didn't have a very good game. And Temple called me after that game and told me that they moved on from me and, and wanted somebody else. And <clears throat> my mom had, had uh, sent a tape to, to Auburn because at that point, you know, kind of everybody else had signed everywhere and, and so on and so forth. And um, she sent a tape to Auburn, and he liked it. He came up and saw me playing a couple all-star games. And once I got on campus at Auburn, it was over. I fell in love with it as soon as I got on campus. Okay, well, the, good enough right there. So you attend Auburn University on a basketball scholarship. And um, really, uh, your last two years, actually, I'm looking at it right here. It said that you played every game. You started every game for the Tiger, the Lady Tigers basketball team in uh, the 1990-91 uh, season. And in 1990, you were selected to the NCAA All-Tournament team. So, just talk about that that year specifically. What made the ninety ninety one season so special? <clears throat> Actually, you know, I think it was it was the culture that was built my freshman year. Uh, we had two really good teams that, that played in the national championship my freshman and sophomore year. So I think a a standard was built. Uh, it was the foundation was set already. And so going into our junior year, we knew we we knew we had a pretty good team. Uh, and, and we wanted to win the national championship, and so, you know, we had a we had a crazy uh, Louisiana Tech team that was undefeated in the semifinals, and, and we were able to to hand them a pretty good loss, and uh, and we thought we were going to win the national championship, and and but Stanford was, you know, they shot the lights out, and it's, I still remember it very well when you shoot sixty five percent from the three point line for a game, you're not really going to lose, so. We lost that one, but but you know it was it was just it was more than basketball. It was the opportunity to to play on the big stage, and and you know I, I'm I'm sure my family was proud. <clears throat> yeah, I'm sure they were proud. And um, speaking of being proud, you played you played in a proud conference such as the Southeastern Conference, the SEC, and we know that the SEC is very competitive. In, in all sports, football, right. basketball, baseball, uh, track and field, gymnastics, and so on and so forth. During your time mm-hmm. at Auburn, who would who would you consider to have been your uh, your uh, biggest rivals? Uh, well, when I was playing, Tennessee was our biggest rival. It was either us or them winning the SEC championship, and and it was weird because the four years that I was there, whoever went further in the SEC championship. Uh, the other team went further in the NCAA tournament, uh, and so we had some pretty good battles with Tennessee. And they were, our, they were, we pretty, we weren't really worried about any other team in the SEC. Um, you know, not really worried about Bama or Georgia or anything like that. It was, it was Tennessee. It was those battles at Tennessee. All right, let's stay with those uh, those uh, teams that you were on during your time at uh, Auburn. Uh, Ruthie Bolden Hollyfield, one of the uh, the great women players of all time, and also made her mark uh, during her time in the WNBA. What what was it like having her as a a teammate at Auburn? 
So, I mean, it was good. You know, she was an All-American, and that's who I, I learned behind. Um, you know, her work ethic and, and just how much she loved the game and how much she loved her teammates kind of rubbed out on me. And, and then – so we became really, really good friends. And, and it, it luckily we got the chance to, to play in the WNBA together. Um, and she's just great people. Uh, we still stay in touch often. Uh, and I just saw her a couple weeks ago. So, you know, she's good people, and, and that's just the kind of people that we were around. All right, awesome to hear. And then um, I want to stay uh, with Auburn for a moment. I know you grew, you uh, you mentioned about uh, the use of the N word and, and being in in that environment and in the as they say in the plains of Alabama. But I want to know what was the transition like? I'm not talking about from a basketball standpoint, but what was the transition like from a social standpoint coming from uh, the East Coast in in York, Pennsylvania, to having to travel to Auburn, Alabama, what were some of the challenges that you had right. to face to adjust to um, not just the college environment, but just to just being in, in Auburn in general? Right. Well, the biggest challenge was it was hot. <laughs> I wasn't used to it being, you know, 100 degrees at 9 o'clock in the morning. And so that was a tough transition. But as far as socially, like I, you know, I mentioned earlier, I think <clears throat> my upbringing and, and my, I think my parents uh, prepared me and, and my siblings uh, very well for, for to handle those type of situations. And obviously the South is a lot more conservative um, than the East Coast, uh, you know, and, and people are a little more apt to give you their opinion based on your race. Uh, but, you know, it, it, it only happened twice, um, and, you know, I just – I smiled and, and walked away. And I think sometimes when when that happens, you know, if, if somebody comes at you with hate and you return a smile to them, you know, I, I think that hurts them more than if you react. I think they want you to react. Um, and, and when you react to somebody's hate with hate, then you justify, you know, their action, their intentions anyway. As the old saying goes, kill them with kindness, right? Yes, sir. <laughs> yeah, yep. Yeah. Good, good, uh, good response to that one right there. So, uh, you made the most out of your time at Auburn University. So, you finished, you earned your bachelor's degree in uh, public relations from the university. What, what was it about public relations that made you want to uh, study in in depth in this field? Well, you know what? To to be honest, um, the reason I wanted to go to Temple is because I wanted to to act. Um, and then I thought I could um, major in theater at Auburn. Uh, that's what I thought when I went on my recruiting visit. But then when I got down there, uh, we found out that all the theater classes and all the acting classes were in the afternoon, and that's when practice was. So uh, I had to change my major. And so I knew I had a, the kind of personality that could that could talk to anybody, and, and I'd like to fix problems. And so I actually decided to do, get a double major in, in marketing and, and public relations. So it was it was fun. Not really the the the, the path I I wanted at first, but it turned out pretty good. Yeah, absolutely. So you uh again you earned your uh bachelor's degree to do the double major and you were a double major um, earning your uh, double degree, double majoring in marketing and public relations, and after that you became an assistant coach 
at Auburn and then later at the University of Texas and then the University of Massachusetts at Amherst. So after your uh, time coaching, doing the assistant coaching at the University of Massachusetts Amherst, you uh, you played overseas in, in Poland, and then there was a league by the name of the WNBA that um, you had a chance to play in. Just uh, tell the audience right. a little bit about how did that come about with the WNBA. Right. Well, and actually, you know, I didn't. my first year in Poland was actually after my first year in the WNBA. Um, so up to that point, I hadn't played. Um, you know, I thought at that point, you know, is an easy transition for a point guard to go into coaching, and so that's what I did. And and then uh, when I heard about the the WNBA, um, it's a funny story that I I called the director of player personnel, uh, Renee Brown, and and uh, I introduced myself and <clears throat> and I said, you know, how do I get involved? How do I get invited to the to the pre-draft camp? And she said, you know, I'm sorry, we already invited all of our 60 players that we're inviting. And then I said, well, I want to be number 61. And she was like, you know, I can't, we can't do that. You know, I followed your career at Auburn. You had a great career whatever, but, you know, maybe next year or whatever. And I said, well, you know, are there anybody, anyone that you've already invited to this pre-draft camp, are you going to see them anytime soon? This is on a Tuesday. And he, she said, well, yeah, I'm actually going to be in Washington, D.C. this weekend at a tournament or whatever. And I said, okay. I said, you know what? I'm going to be, I'm going to find a team to play in that tournament. I'm going to play in that tournament. Our team's going to win it. I'm going to get MVP, and then you're going to invite me to the draft. And, you know, obviously she took that with a grain of salt or whatever. So I was on the phone all weekend, and I mean all week, and then Friday evening I found a team, went down to D.C., played Saturday and Sunday. Our team won the championship. I got MVP, and, and she came up after the, the game and said, you were right, and handed me her business card and, and – uh, that's how I got invited to the pre-draft camp. Oh wow, that's that's certainly interesting, right? Right there. I mean, I've I've heard stories about that in different leagues, but nothing like that. And considering the WNBA, because when you joined the league, it was new, and the, the hype was so real right. behind that. Because um, I want to transition now to just the hype and and the everything that that happened <laughs> during the time of the WNBA with commercials right. galore with. Lisa Leslie and Rebecca Lobo and Cheryl Swoops. And, I mean, there was a big right. marketing campaign for the WNBA. Were you a part of any of those big public relations campaigns? Well, not just for the WNBA, but the team that you were drafted by with the Sacramento Monarchs? Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, they did a the campaign called Sisterhood, and, and they had put uh, Ruthie and I together in a, um, in a commercial uh, to start the league, to start that season. Um, but obviously, I, you know, I, you know, I was new in a town of Sacramento. I was new in a league, and and they liked my story of my family and things like that. And so I was, you know, featured on inside stuff and and shows like that. Um, you know, and it, 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 although it was fun to get my story out, you know, it was about playing basketball and and playing the game I loved and and getting to, falling in love with the with the city of Sacramento. Okay, so you did your thing, and that's what we're going to transition to next. So that you were drafted uh, in the 1997 WNBA draft in the third round. Of the, you were the 18th pick in the third round selected by the Sacramento Monarchs. Now, that was a when you were drafted by the Monarchs, that was a, a unique time because the WNBA, as I said before earlier, was just starting out, and there was a big 
promotional campaign for the WNBA. And then also, too, you right. being in Sacramento, which is an NBA town, the Sacramento Kings, and the Kings were winning at the time. Uh, Chris Webber had, had just gotten there, and then Vladi uh, Divac had just gotten there. So the Sacramento Kings were riding a high at that particular time. Jason Williams was also uh, getting, just uh, arriving there. So um, tell me, what was it like being a part of, a part of the mon- Monarchs during that, during that time and coinciding with the, the success of the Sacramento Kings? Well, yeah, I mean, it was great. I mean, the day after I got there, Odin Polonese, who was the center before Vladi, um, you know, he is my frat brother. Um, I'm a Zeta. He's a Sigma. And uh, the day after I got there, and I, I went to my to my apartments where they were having us housing us, and he introduced himself, and, and he said, "Hey, Sarah, I got a present for you." And and uh, he got me a truck. Uh, they didn't give us they didn't give us transportation out there. And, and he, he was like, "You know, I know you're from Pennsylvania. I didn't want you to have to bring your truck. I mean, your car all the way out here." And so he bought me a truck. Um, and you know Mitch Richmond was really really good to us, and the guys. I mean, we were really close to the to the Kings team. You know, they were intrigued about the league being the first year and things like that. And you know, I wish I wish that that would was still the case. You know, I, I'd like to see the the WNBA and NBA players um, unite a little bit more and and get a little bit more backing. I think that the NBA players have a a huge voice right now, and and I think that there's a lot of things that they could say in support of the WNBA, um, and I'd like to see them use that platform. All right, so let's uh, uh, take a look briefly at the '97 Monarch season. So uh, you guys finished 10 and 18, finished in third place in the Western Conference. Right, uh, right in front of you was Phoenix. Uh, the Phoenix Mercury was 16 and 12, and then the Los Angeles Sparks. Of course, uh, it finished with a record of 14 and 14. So, I'm looking at this the score, uh, the schedule right here. You guys had some pretty uh, competitive games. They were tough at times during your time with the Monarchs. Who would who would you've considered to been your uh, toughest opponent? Well, I mean, the person I guarded the toughest um, was you know was Cheryl Swoops and, and Cynthia Cooper, obviously. Um, um, but but at that time, you know, there were only 80 women in the world that were in the league, and and so we knew that all the games were going to be competitive. Um, so you had to come bring it every day. We knew that nobody in that league was going to go undefeated, um, and so you know we had some injuries along the way and and things like that. But you know, at the end of the day, we got to play basketball. We got to get paid for it in, in America and, and be professional athletes. All right, so also in, in that 97 season, you reunited with your college teammate, Ruthie Bolton-Hollyfield. So you had the experience with her being a teammate in college at Auburn, but now this was some a whole nother world. This is the WNBA. This is, uh, as you said, you guys were getting – you uh, the ladies out there were getting paid to be professionals. So what was – uh, what was it? What was it like having her as a teammate this time on a, a professional level? You know, I, I always get, getting to know Ruthie in high school. I mean, college. Um, you know, I always knew she was a good person, and so you know, when when you have to deal with the rigors of professional sports and the fans, and sometimes unruly fans or or pushy fans, you know, it's good to have 
teammates around that you can trust and, and that you can just go hang out with and share your values. And um, and that's what Ruthie and I did. You know, we, we spent a lot of time together and, and you know, just try to navigate the world of professional sports um, together, which I think made it easier for both of us. All right, so uh, let's move along now to, so you played one season in Sacramento, then in 1998, 1999, the Utah, the Salt, Salt Lake City, Utah, they got a WNBA team, the Utah Stars, and you uh, played on that team along with um, another guard, uh, Tammy Reese. So tell me, what was the transition like going from Sacramento to Utah? Uh, honestly, I hated it. Um I fired my agent over it. I just I didn't want to play in Utah. At least that's what I thought when I first got there. Uh, uh, I didn't, you know, playing there when I was in Sacramento, it was hard to breathe, and there weren't a lot of African Americans in in Salt Lake City. Um, and so, you know, once I got there and, and settled in a little bit, and, and Carl Malone and I became really really good friends, and um, I mean it was okay. Um, I probably I would have preferred to play in LA or New York, and I think everyone knew that. Um, but you know, it was a good experience. Let's stay with Utah for a moment. You know, that's something that that you uh, had brought up again. You mentioned about your upbringing in Pennsylvania, and then having to transition to uh, get adjusted to playing in in Auburn and in Alabama, but. What were some of the the, the social uh, the challenges you mentioned? Of course, there there weren't enough African Americans in Utah. But what were some of the other things that you had right. to uh, you had to fight through just to, in be during your time in uh, Salt Lake City? You know, I mean, it's a huge Mormon top population, um, which was you know a religion I wasn't familiar with up to that point, um, and so it, it you know it was different. You know, and and there's a difference. You know, people always, you know, when you're in the spotlight or, or um, you know, that's one thing that, that Utah taught me, I think, is, is, you know, when you're the starting point guard for the team and, and, you know, you're doing well regardless or you're on TV, you know, people gravitate to you for those reasons. Um, and, and you kind of learn how to weed out uh, who's there because of what you do or who's there because of who you are. Um, and so I think that helped me in that respect. And and you learn a lot about yourself when you're in situations that you're uncomfortable in. Um, and, and I wasn't really that comfortable in Utah. You know, I love being able to get out and talk to people and, and things like that. And, you know, there's some people that because you're African-American uh, or because, you know, whatever it is about you, it could be your race, it could be where you grew up, it could be your your lifestyle choices, whatever – um, you know, they're not going to want to hang around with you. And so that taught me that lesson uh, in Utah. All right. So during the 98 season with Utah, with the Utah Stars, your team finished 8-22 um, and 22 below 500. And then your last year mm-hmm. in Utah, your team finished below 500 with a record mm-hmm. of 15 and 17. So your mm-hmm. last year in the WNBA, you played in uh, in – the year of 2000 with the Indiana Fever. Now, before the Indiana Fever became uh, one of the, the top dogs in the WNBA, it was still a, a brand-new franchise. Any um, any memories that you have of during your time in, in Indiana during its uh, the inaugural season? 
Well, I'll tell you this. Indiana was probably my favorite place and, and still remains one of the most classiest organizations in the WNBA. Um, you know, Donnie Walsh, you know, at that time, and, and Kelly Crosskoff and, um, you know, Ann Donovan was a coach and, and Mel Fortner. You know, it was just a class organization, and they remained that way even with Tamika Catchings and, and you know, running the show up there now. Um, and so it's been – that was good memories. Uh, I just knew – at that time, it was time for me to retire. I just, I knew I wanted to do different things with my life, and and I wasn't, I wasn't passionate about playing basketball anymore. And I knew when that happened, I knew it'd be time to step away. Hello, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm sorry about that. So, um, I was just, as I was saying earlier, you, uh, the Indiana Fever in your in the inaugural season, it finished with a record of nine and twenty-three below five hundred in its uh, opening season. So. Let's stay with, with basketball for a moment. You made a mentioning about not enjoying your time in Utah. You said that you fired your agent as a result of it. Who was your who was your agent that was representing you? No, nah, I'm not gonna do that. <laughs> I'm not gonna okay, do that. Okay. I'm yeah, I I I don't feel I wouldn't feel comfortable saying that. Okay, okay, fair enough. Let's go. We'll move a little, move right along to that. So right. after your time so after your time uh, playing in the WNBA, you retired from uh, basketball, and you you mentioned earlier that you wanted to uh, major in theater. Well, you had an opportunity to act in a movie in the uh, 2002 Walt Disney movie uh, titled Double Team, which was based on the true life story of professional basketball players Heather and Heidi Burge. Well, Hi- Heather and Heidi Burge. Uh, what was that experience like? One of the best in the world. Uh... That was the most calming I've ever felt in my life, being on set, and that um, was a that was a once in a lifetime experience. Not many people get to act in Disney movies. Do you still earn uh, residual checks from that? I'm sorry. Do you still earn residual checks from us uh, from the uh, the movie? Uh, you know I can't talk about my. You know I can't talk about that. Come on, I man. got you. I got you. Okay, okay, okay. Well, fair enough. All right, so let's um so again you've uh, acted in a movie, you did that. So now let's move along now to um a gentleman by the name of Master P and uh something you did with uh, uh No Limit Records. Uh, I'm going to play a little bit of a song and then I'm going to get you back in. So um for those that may okay. not know the song, here it is. Don't make me call a dog. And how did you uh, hook up with uh, uh, producing Hootie Who? 
uh, in my uh, first year in the league, they, P had reached out to me and, and expressed interest in signing me to No Limit Sports. And so uh, I signed with No Limit Sports, and I went down there and asked him when, when we were negotiating that contract, I asked him to listen to a, a song I had produced. Um, and the next day he called me up, told me to bring my beat machine and have me – we went to go play basketball, and then he was going into the studio and – and that's that's how it happened. Next thing you know, it's on the radio. That, that just, oh wow, that huh, wow, that's awesome right there. I want to ask you about a production team, Beats by the Pound. We know Beats by the Pound, in my opinion, is so underrated. Where uh, the likes of KLC and Odell and Craig B and uh, Carlos Stevens and Moby Dick. I want to know what was that experience like uh, working with Beats by the Pound. It was good. They 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 really knew their thing and and they uh you know took me in under their wing and you know the first time producer as I was, you know they were really really professional and um it was a great experience with them. Man, that song played on a lot of stations across <laughs> the country and it was played on BET and MTV and any Video, any video outlet there that was out there at that time. I mean, if had that song come out on the internet or YouTube, I mean, man, it it, it would have been mega, mega. I mean, the song was already mega success, but it, it would have really blown up if the end of it. I mean, the internet was just starting at the time, but there was no social media. It hadn't advanced. But you did your thing with uh, No Limit Records and TRU. Have you done any production work with P or or anything in the music world since? since that song no not really um you know i produced a couple um like the opening for the for the utah jazz and the stars and and um that played with their intro videos and stuff like that but uh you know it it became more of a hobby for me and um and i just i don't know i it just became more of a hobby for me Okay, fair enough. So um, you had your association with Master P uh, pr- uh, producing the song for TRU, and then, of course, you were uh, represented by his No Limit Sports Agency. So let's move along now, too. So you enter the world of entrepreneurship. You created a, a video and graphic production company called Blank Minds. So tell our audience just a little bit what, what Blank Minds is all about. Uh, I just created Blank Minds because I, I didn't want to be – inside of a box. I didn't want to be held inside of a box. And, and you know, I've always found, found myself, I've always thought of myself as, as a creative person. And I didn't want to be bound by, you know, just graphic design or just video production or or mobile apps and, and things like that. And so, you know, I, I just started a company that would encompass anything I wanted to do. Um, and so it's been a great experience. All right, so again, Blake Minds deals with um, a, a production a video, it's a gr- video and graphic uh, production company. Have you um, worked with any big clients as as of uh, as, as of yet, or is, is the company still um, developing, still trying to get its feet wet? No, we work with some some pretty big clients, and and you know we work with Auburn University, and and you know we've done some things um, with some with some pretty big clients. Uh, but you know, like always, you know, you always you always want to work with the with the with the big big ones, you know. Um, and so I, I look forward to maybe one day working with Nike. 
um, or with Apple. And so we'll see where that takes us. Okay, so not only did you mention about Auburn University, you returned to your alma mater to earn your MBA and the doctorate from Auburn University. What did you earn your doctorate in? Uh, I got my doctorate in educational leadership. Oh, wow, that's awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So tell me, what was um, – what was the reason for you uh, wanting to return to your alma mater to advance your education? No, I don't. I don't think. I, I, my mom was was an educated woman. She had her doctorate, and, and uh, you know, I just think owning a business. I, I wanted to learn more, and I wanted to be a better businesswoman, and so that was my initial thought uh, going back to school. And then I was given the opportunity to. Uh, <clears throat> to get my PhD and, and um so I took it and uh I'm glad I did. Awesome. I'm glad you did. So man, that's a, that's that's an, an important uh, tip to a lot of former athletes or just anybody in general. You know, you want to you have it on uh, your mind and you want to continue to further the education, go back and do it. So um Congratulations again on, on that. So you've also served as a motivational speaker. You've reached out to at-risk youth, and you've always uh, uh, made your mark at just going to different schools and different uh, community centers in terms of just reaching out to the youth. Did that come from uh, your time growing up, or was it something that happened at Auburn, or was it something that you wanted to do just to just uh, uh, make a difference? You know, I've always wanted to give back to the kids, Um you know, I love the youth, and, and I, I just felt like if I, I knew, I always knew that if I ever was ever given a platform where I could uh, make a difference in kids' lives, that I would take advantage of that, and um, and so that's what I did. Okay, definitely that. And speaking of giving back to the youth, you've uh, you, you're giving back in in, in, a, in an interesting way. Recently, you've become a, a, a social media star with uh, uh, something like this. I'm going to play this audio, and then we'll be right back. Young man, I am in the store trying on my shoes. What do you want? So I heard you've been getting tried on TikTok. They've been trying me. Okay. Well, have you ever done it in the store? Y'all going to learn that. That video that you heard right there was courtesy of Instagram, and it's uh, uh, Dr. Chantel Trimetier, um with this uh, with the auntie skits that you've been uh, doing. How, how did that come about? You know, I just uh, when I when I train kids in, in Auburn um, after our sessions, I would always challenge them to see who can make a half court shot first, um, and then you know TikTok came about, and I said, let me throw one up here on TikTok and see and then at first you know it did okay but I had young men coming on and saying oh you can't do that with a women's ball I mean you can't do that with a men's ball or or those shots are trick shot I mean they're camera t- angles or whatever and so you know I took on the mantra that the auntie thing where you know I came at them and and other commenters were like don't come after auntie like that so I decided to change my name and and uh and just do other videos and have fun with it, and it, it seemed to have taken off. Did you? Well, I mean, I, I was going to ask this question. We know in social media, I mean, all it all it takes is one video and something catchy for something to take off like that. But did you expect? Did you expect it to to take off like this? 
Oh, absolutely not. I didn't. Uh, I never imagined that you know World Star and and NBC News and Inside Edition would be calling me, asking me to play the video. Um, but you know, like like I've said before, you know, I've, I've always felt like I'm humbled um, and it's exciting. But but I've always known that this is this whole thing is bigger than me. And and so if if for 60 second video people can forget about you know the pandemic that's going on or the injustices that are happening in our country. If, if for 60 seconds I can take that away from them and make them smile, then, then I feel like I'm, I'm doing okay. Absolutely. You're right about that. And it's, it's taken a lot of us away from uh, what's currently going on um, in our world right now. Real quickly, uh, uh, Dr. Trimatier, uh, what is, we know the COVID-19 pandemic has uh, wreaked havoc on not just here in the U.S., but in the world right. and as a whole. So what what have you done during this COVID-19 to uh, stay protected or um, what have you done to just kind of keep 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 sanity during this time? I know you've been busy uh, posting those, those, those wonderful videos, but what else have you done to just try to um, keep yourself sane during the pandemic? You know, I, I – uh... I've kept my circle really small um, of who I've, I've hung around with. And, and luckily the people that I've been around um, are great people and, and um, we've had a lot of fun and, and, you know, been able to talk and laugh and, and things like that. And, and uh, so they've keep me, they've kept me grounded and, and, and then it's just, you know, having fun with these videos and being able to, to come up with new things and, and not let my my creativity sleep during this time. I think that's what kind of <clears throat> kept me sane. Yeah, I'm I'm glad you mentioned that, man. Sometimes the people don't really take advantage of the opportunity that's presented in front of them. And definitely, you're making the most out of your opportunity by not letting your creativity sleep. You uh, you let your creativity die. So I want to just uh, before we wrap this up, you know, uh, George Floyd, um, his death. Right. Oh man, his his death sparked a lot of protests. His death sparked a lot of um, just a lot of social unrest in, in here and in, not just here in America, but in the world. And of course, uh, before that, with Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery, uh, where you currently where you currently uh, based out of? How have they handled uh, the George Floyd situation as well as the the protests that have been uh, taking place? You know, I've seen it from both sides. Um, you know, I've seen some of the protests that, you know, obviously I've seen them on TV and, and, you know, you never want to see anything go violent. Um, you know, and, and, you know, my big thing is, 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 is if you're going out to protest and, and you're not going to vote, then, then you're going to protest for nothing. Um, you know, it's hard. It's hard for both people on, on both sides. And, and, you know, I think that, you know, probably the closest person in the world to me is, is a is a police officer, and and um, you know, so I so I've seen it from both sides, and there's some really really good police officers out there, uh, but you know, I think that if if us as if if us as African Americans, if we want police officers to not categorize us as thugs when they first see us, I think it's important for us not to categorize all police as murderers. You know, I, I do think it's a, it's a, you know, people have to get better on both sides. Um, and you know, what happened with George Floyd is, is obviously, it was more than a mistake. It was, it was horrible. It was, it was murder. Um, and, and hopefully those officers will be held accountable for that. And you want to hope that, that 
things like this don't happen. And, you know, I, I, I like to look at life sometimes through rose-colored glasses, and I think that can that can hurt me sometimes. But, you know, I just I feel like someone has to step up in leadership and say that this isn't okay. Uh, and, I, and I think, unfortunately, if, if we don't have people in powerful positions that are going to uh, admonish this kind of behavior, um, you know, some people are going to think that it's always okay. And so I don't think that George Floyd will be the last African-American that's, um, that's murdered um, at the hands of police. I, I, don't, think, I don't think it's going to happen. Um, but, but I'd like to hope that, it, that it's the last. You know, no one deserves to have their life taken from them, um, especially by the people who are supposed to, to protect us. That's well put right there. And, um, you know, as, as, the, as the saying goes, the more things change, the more they stay the same and just have to, right. as I say, keep on fighting, keep on fighting the power and continue uh, having these talks and having the awareness. And maybe, you know, maybe that there could be a silver lining in all of this to reduce this. It's just it's a lot going on right now. But uh, thank God we have you and, and the videos and uh, things of that nature. And good to see that you're uh, you're doing well. And um, before we let you go, uh, you. Dr. Trimateer, oh, you're welcome. Before we let you go, Dr. Trimateer, just uh, – let the audience know where they can find you on social media, and if you have a website, let them know that as well. Sure. Uh, my website is ChantelTrimateer.com. Uh, my TikTok is, is Auntie Chantel. Uh, my Instagram is Chantel Trim, uh, and my Twitter is CR Um So, you know, I like, to, I like to engage with people on, on social media. Obviously, I can't comment back to everyone. Um, but, but I try to do my best, uh, to interact with people. And, and like I said, I, I'm doing these videos to have fun and, and I'd love for people to have fun with them. Um, and so, you know, if we can all smile together and make a little dent in the world, uh, then let's do that. Well, you heard it from her. She's Dr. Chantel Trimatier. She's a, a solid basketball player, but also an entrepreneur and educator and also, um, I guess you could say a, a, a social media, uh, a social media star right now with her videos. Uh, Dr. Trimatier, mm-hmm. thank you so much for being on the program. And if ever you want to come back on, uh, feel free to let us know. No problem. I appreciate you taking the time. Uh, anytime. Now, now, Dr. Trimatier, normally I always end the show with letting. Um, the list thanking the listeners for tuning into the show and also let them know sure. uh, the typical COVID-19 thing and let them stay, make sure they stay safe and stay inside, stay right. home if they have to. But I'm going to let you uh, take the reins on this one. I want to, uh, what would Auntie, Auntie Shan say in terms of the COVID-19? Uh-huh. I'll let, uh, I want to hear, let's, let's, let's hear the uh, perspective from, from Auntie Shan. So the, the floor is yours. Uh-huh. Look, you know, COVID-19 is real. Um, she is a lot like cancer. Um, and I know because cancer caught me. And so she's a lot like cancer. She doesn't care what color you are. She doesn't care if you're the police. She doesn't care if you're a thug. or a, She doesn't care if you're white, you're black, you're, you're a millionaire, a billionaire, or you're on food stamps. Um, if you're not careful, she's going to catch you. And so, you know, I encourage everyone to stay safe. Keep your masks on right now and, and don't be a part of the problem. Uh, you know, there's a lot of people in this country, and we put our heads together and, 
and all become a part of the solution and we make smart choices, I think we're gonna we're gonna get back on track. You know, this is the best country in the world and so we gotta act like it. And so, you know, as as Auntie Chantel, you know, I, look, don't act stupid out there. Don't be a dummy. You know, follow the rules. And uh, if you don't, then, you know, then I'm going to come at you. So, and I'm more dangerous than Corona. So, you know, <laughs> stay smart. <laughs> All right. Well, you heard it from her. She's Dr. Chantel Trimitia. Thank you again, Dr. Trimitia. And uh, we're going to leave it now with uh, a song she co-produced with Beats by the Pound, uh, Hootie Hoo by, by, uh, by True, T-R-U. And that's going to do it for another exciting edition of The Robinson Show. I'm your host, Ed Robinson. You heard it. with uh, your brush. Thank you. And again, you, you heard it from the instructions from Dr. Trimitier. We're out. Peace. family has four kids and two options for a new home. Number one checks a lot of boxes. It's big, close to work. Private tennis court. Number two was kind of cramped, and that old barn was clearly haunted. But it has one gig internet with AT&T fiber, so plenty of bandwidth and unlimited data for us to stream 4K movies while Billy games. Tina video chats, and Andrew and Maddie can do homework. HBO Max. Good point, Ghost. AT&T Fiber comes with HBO Max included. Looks like the Hudsons are bypassing the commuter's paradise to go with one gig internet with AT&T Fiber. And a fun new guest. Get super fast entertainment-grade internet with AT&T Fiber. Now with unlimited data included. Find out how to get one gig internet for $39.99 a month for a year when bundled. Limited availability may not be in your area. Call 1-877-ONLY-ATT. Download max typically 940 megabits per second. Speed's not guaranteed. Very $10 per month equipment fee applies. Compatible device and online account registration required for HBO Max access. New resident. AT&T Fiber customers only. Other charges and restrictions apply. Visit att.com slash getfiber for details. I feel sick. I'm going to go to an emergency room. I feel sick. I'm going to just go to a doctor's office. We need to physically separate. Ultimately, you may need, obviously, to see a physician or to go to a hospital. The first reflex should be to make a call to your physician.